Well, hello, and uh, happy almost summer to everybody listening to this. Uh, we're glad that you're joining us. I hope everybody's enjoying our nice weather so far this June. Uh, I know Alicia and I certainly have been. Uh, we had some time off last week, actually, together, and that was really nice. We went out to our property uh, to work on a few projects, mostly, and we got to soak up the sun, which is really great. Uh, my time out in the woods, as usual, was super refreshing, uh, but this time I also learned some really valuable information about poison ivy, actually, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. You see, about a week ago, I thought I knew what the poison ivy plant looked like, but it turns out I did not. Unfortunately for me, it took getting it all over my body uh, for me to be inspired enough to go do some research, and, uh, and now I know a lot more about it, and I wanted to pass that info along on to you so that you don't have to learn the hard way as well. Uh, have a look at these pictures here. These are from the U of M, and according to them, this is what the poison ivy plant looks like. Uh, unfortunately, though, as you can see here, the leaves of the plant, they vary pretty considerably in size and in shape and actually also in color as well, so it's pretty hard to define exactly what the poison ivy plant really looks like. And because of that, people like me seem to get it all the time. Take a good hard look here at these images and just try to burn them into your mind. Trust me when I tell you that it is worth remembering. And on a side note, just know that I'm not trying to scare anybody away from visiting us out at the property. We really do want visitors. Um, no, for me, I, I got what I deserved. I was kind of trying to clear some bush in an area, and I was pulling out leaves and plants and roots with my bare hands. So as long as you're not planning to come out and, and do some of that stuff, you should be safe. <laughs> I tell you the story, though, to illustrate that it's very dangerous. Uh, I think when we think that we understand a, a, a particular concept, and we really don't. You know, I thought I understood what the poison ivy plant looked, uh, looked like, but for me it turns out that I... I didn't really know what I thought I knew, and I had to learn a hard lesson because of that. In a similar, uh, similar way, we're going to be looking at a story this morning from Mark chapter 10. It's about an encounter uh, between a man who thought he had something figured out and Jesus, and Jesus was able to teach this man a pretty hard lesson as well for him. The man thought he understood what being devoted to God was all about. But Jesus really challenged his preconceived ideas uh, in this account here. So let's start just by reading it. The account, as I said, is in Mark 10. And I'll be picking it up in, uh, in verse 17. It says this in the NIV. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he said, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
So we're working through a sermon series called uh, The Call of Discipleship right now. And today, we'll be diving into this story here to look at one of the most important qualities, at least I think, that Jesus is calling us to as his disciples. And that is our devotion to him. This conversation that we just read here is not only recorded in Mark's gospel, but it's also in Matthew's and Luke's gospel as well. As we see here at the end, Mark tells, tells us that this was a wealthy man. Uh, but we also learn from Matthew's gospel that the man was young. And then in Luke's gospel, we learn that he was a ruler of some kind. And so when we put all those three together, uh, we get that he was a rich, young ruler. And so that's why you often uh, hear to this man, uh, hear this man referred to as a rich, young ruler uh, quite often. And that's how I'll refer to him this morning as well. Uh, This story is a tremendous help for us because we get to see the type of devotion that Jesus uh, is looking for from the people who are following him. And, you know, just like I thought I knew what poison ivy plants looked like, this rich young ruler thought he understood what it looked like to be devoted to God. But in this conversation with Jesus, his, his thinking gets challenged. And my hope and prayer today is that Jesus is also going to challenge our thinking uh, and get us to see devotion in the same way that he sees it. And just like there are many false notions about what the poison ivy plant looks like, uh, at least the ones I had, I wanted to examine a couple of false notions that this man had about what devotion to God looked like as well. Sometimes when we're trying to define what something is, it's just as helpful to kind of look at what it's not. And this account from Mark 10 really helps us to do just that. So today we're going to see that devotion to Jesus is not merely the same as respecting Jesus. And then after that, we'll also see that devotion to Jesus is not the same as merely just obeying a list of rules. And finally, Jesus will show the man and he will show us That devotion to him really means pursuing Jesus with all your heart, which is the title of our lesson this morning. So let's get started with the first false notion here. As I mentioned, devotion to Jesus is not the same thing as merely respecting Jesus. And I mean, not that respect for Jesus isn't important. It it certainly is. But merely showing respect is not the same thing as what it means to be devoted to him. This rich young ruler, he appears to have a tremendous amount of respect for Jesus. Look at what he says here in verse 17. He sees Jesus walking along to Jerusalem, and then the man doesn't just walk up to him. He runs up to Jesus, and then when he gets close, he falls down on his knees before him. And then he doesn't just stop there. On top of that, the rich young ruler uh, refers to Jesus as a good teacher, which may not mean much to us, but in the Jewish culture, this was a, a term of high respect. So high, in fact, that Jesus actually corrects the man and tells him that he should only use that term to refer to God himself. And at this point, the rich young ruler didn't understand that he was talking to God himself. So the rich young ruler You know, he totally respects Jesus. We can see that here. But as they talk, you can see that Jesus was actually more concerned about his actions. You know, the man wants to know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus begins talking to him about keeping the commandments of God. So we can see that respect alone is not enough uh, to be a follower of Jesus, to be devoted to Jesus. We also need to obey the commandments of God. This is a common theme, of course, all through Scripture. And maybe one of the times when it's best pointed out or most clearly pointed out by Jesus comes from uh, Matthew 7 here in verse 21. When Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The question we need to ask ourselves today is this. Do we define being devoted to Jesus as merely showing respect for him and what he says? You know, this might happen if we say things like, Jesus' words are so important, or, you know, I gave my life to Jesus, or I follow Jesus, but then, you know, our actions don't really follow through. There's no real change in the way we live. It's like that typical story we've probably all heard where there's a family and they they go to worship service together on a Sunday morning and the preacher is talking about an important message, the greatest commandment, you know, love God and love others. And so they say amen and, and they say we respect that, we love that teaching from Jesus. But then on the ride home, you know, mom and dad are in the front, kids in the back and all the kids here is just mom and dad running down everybody in the church and trash talking the preacher and on and on. You know, the parents uh, in this situation can just say all they want about how important it is to be devoted to Christ and how much they respect Him. But the kids listening to this and seeing that, you know, their actions don't line up with what they just heard the message from the scriptures, uh, from the church service, it's going to be very hard for the parents to really convey what, de- what devotion looks like to, to Christ. It's going to be distorted in their minds. This scripture from Matthew 7 makes it clear that respecting Jesus is not the same thing as being devoted to him. We also need to back it up with true obedience to his teachings. So we have to add obedience to our respect. That's, that's pretty clear. But as we continue to read through the story, the second thing that also becomes really clear is that a surface-level obedience is not really what it means to be devoted to Him either. I'm not trying to say that obedience isn't important, because it certainly is, but our text today shows us that our, our devotion to Him cannot just be boiled down to a simple list of rules. You know, a simple list of do's and don'ts. In verse 20, uh, we see that it says that the rich young ruler had missed this concept because You know, even though he kept God's commands, Jesus says in verse 21 that he was still lacking something important. And what he was missing, and what we need to understand today, is that God has always desired the hearts of his people, along with their obedience. This is actually a really big deal in Scripture. And Jesus, again, makes it super clear I think in a lot of passages, but one that comes to mind is when he's talking to the teachers and Pharisees here in Matthew 23 and in verse 27, he says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. 
In the same way, on the outside, you appear as, uh, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You know, I don't think too many things, uh, really got Jesus fired up quite like hypocrisy did. He admits even that on the outside, these religious leaders look like they've got it all together. You know, they're saying the right things. They're doing the right things. They follow all the right, uh, all the right rules. But yet, even though they've checked all the boxes, they've actually missed the point of their faith. They missed the point that God wanted their hearts and not just merely their actions. The Pharisees seem to be more interested in maintaining their own level of self-righteousness and enforcing the proper list of do's and don'ts rather than pursuing the heart of the one who gave them that list in the first place and also caring about the souls around them. That, that were entrusted to them. I wanted to point out this scripture because I think it's really good at showing us that uh, it's possible to keep the, the right list of commands, but to keep them for all the wrong reasons. And I think that was the issue with the rich young ruler here as well. He was missing the point of the commands of God. You know, he saw them as a way to gain his own self-righteousness instead of a way for him to pursue the heart of God. He saw the commands as a task list that he needed to get through in order to earn himself eternal life rather than an avenue through which he could pursue a deeper relationship with his creator. And what about us? You know, we'd be naive to think that this kind of uh, danger and this kind of trap is not there for us to fall into as well. How do you view the commands of God in your life? I want to propose that, you know, we have a choice to view the commands of God in one of two ways. And our choice, the choice we make, will drastically change the way that we value those commands. If we see the commands of God as a burden that we have to bear or something that's necessary for us to get to heaven one day, but really, you know, we don't like them. They're sort of, uh, they're sort of a, a buzzkill or a killjoy to us then we're going to see the commands of God in a very different way than we would if we looked at them the way that God wants us to look at them. If we see them the way that God wants us to see them, we'll see them as a life-giving opportunity to draw closer to our Creator. And we're also going to see them as a true blessing because they really are good for us, mentally, physically, emotionally, and certainly spiritually. It seems that the rich young ruler was treating the commands of God more like a task list than a life-giving opportunity. He saw them as checkboxes that he needed to get checked off in order to make it to the good place when he died. But his real priority, his real life, his real devotion was tied up in his wealth. Pursuing the commands of God as a checklist is not only unbiblical, but it can also do a lot of damage to the people around us. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, so-and-so is not a Christian, but ah, they're basically living like a Christian anyways. I've said those words before. And I know it usually just means that, you know, the person has good qualities and maybe we admire them. But when we say things like this, it makes it sound like being a follower of Jesus just boils down, you know, basically to being a good person. You know, as long as they follow the right set of social guidelines, they're not too rough around the edges, and they do some nice things for people, 
yeah, they're pretty much a Christian. I mean, I'm not saying that these things I listed here aren't characteristics that we should pursue as Christians, but this isn't, uh, but isn't this kind of external focused thinking exactly what Jesus was trying to correct with the rich young ruler and also with the Pharisees? That it wasn't just about the outward display, but more importantly, it was about what or who we are devoted to. We need to be careful about how we define what it means to follow Jesus when we speak. Because if we only speak in terms of how good a person is or how well they fit in, then I think it creates a culture where subconsciously we communicate that what really matters is just that you appear good on the outside and on the surface, regardless of whether or not you're actually devoted to Christ with all your heart. I believe that this is at least partly why some people who have grown up in the church struggle to really understand the point of why they should be a Christian when they, when they get older. You know, they might say something like, well, I'm basically a Christian already anyway. And what they mean is that because they've been following their parents to the church building every Sunday and they've learned to act a certain way because of the rules in their home, that they're basically equating their schedule and their list of rules with basically what it means to be a Christian. Except, you know, maybe they haven't made it official yet by getting baptized. But what I hope we can see from Jesus' teaching is just how dangerous that thinking is. When we look at his interaction between, uh, this interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler, you know, fitting into a certain mold or following a certain weekly routine is not what Jesus uses to define someone who follows him. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, there are certainly things that followers of Christ do and do not do. And yes, we are certainly wanting to be involved in regularly meeting with the, with the church. And so I hope you don't hear me saying that those things aren't important, because they are. But what I'm saying is that I think in some cases we've been subconsciously communicating that what it means to follow Jesus is just to keep the, the right list of do's and don'ts and the right list of scheduled events to attend on a weekly basis. You know, basically just show up, fit in, and be a good person. (laughs) But that is not how Jesus defines what it means to follow him. And so we need to stop uh, making that something that we communicate, that idea. We need to just stop that idea. We need to restore the biblical teaching that being devoted to Jesus is not about fitting into a mold or following a list of rules, but instead it's more like what he was asking the rich young ruler to do here in verse 21. It's making a decision to leave all your worldly pursuits behind and instead pursuing him with all your heart. You know, maybe he won't call you to literally sell all your stuff like he did with the rich young ruler, or maybe he will. But the point is that your entire life, your entire life becomes about following him. And in doing so, you know, you get to experience the tremendous blessings that come along with that. You know, things like sanctification, things like being in a relationship with God and, of course, eternal life. And so after like 20 minutes of intro... Uh, we finally get to the point of the lesson to see how Jesus actually defines being devoted to him. You know, it's not merely respecting him as we talked about. It's not merely obeying him. 
most importantly, it's pursuing Jesus with all our heart. Being devoted is about more than just pursuing a set of commands. It's about pursuing the one who gave those commands in the first place. The idea shows up all through the New Testament, all through the Bible. But one of my favorites comes from Colossians 3, 1 to 3, and I wish we could read right to 17, but maybe you can do that later. This is what it says. Since then, you have raised, uh, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This scripture tells us plainly that being devoted to Christ involves devoting two important things, our heart and our mind. This is painting the picture of someone who is, uh, who is making a, a, a conscious and an ongoing effort to turn away from pursuing earthly things so that they can pursue the things of Christ instead. You know, their mind isn't thinking about worldly pursuits. And they don't have their hearts set on anything that the world has to offer. Sadly, with the rich young ruler, he had his mind and his heart wrapped up in the things of the world. Not that you know money was inherently sinful, but having his heart and mind wrapped up in money, well, that was certainly sinful. Maybe money has your heart as well. Or it might be your career, your school, the pursuit of a perfect, happy family, your hobbies, you know, your pursuits of the next greatest vacation or promiscuous and wild living. You know, the list could go on and on. Because anything that we're devoted to other than Jesus becomes an idol to us. Different people will have different idols, but the truth that Jesus is teaching here is the same for all of us. If anything is holding you back from being fully devoted to following Christ, then that thing is going to kill you spiritually. I know that might sound harsh, but it's true. If anything is holding us back from fully devoting ourselves to Christ, that thing is going to kill us spiritually. It's going to kill us. And if anything is taking that position in your life, Jesus is pleading with you this morning to get it out of your life. Verse 21, he calls the man to leave all of his wealth behind and to follow him. You know, at first glance, that might seem harsh. But we need to remember that Jesus didn't want the man to leave his wealth behind because he wanted to make his life miserable and difficult. He wanted him to leave it behind because his wealth had become a spiritual prison. And Jesus wanted to set him free. And he wants to set us free from the spiritual prisons that we are in as well. The trouble is that we don't see our prison as a prison because Satan is a liar And he's working really hard to make us believe that chasing the world is where it's at. When in fact that anything that steals our devotion to Christ is a spiritual death trap. Maybe one way to describe this idea in a way that we can understand it more clearly is is drawing a parallel with a marriage relationship. Marriages depend on devotion as well, don't they? It's part of what you vow to your spouse on your, wedding day, on your wedding day. You make a vow to be devoted to them for the rest of your life. 
And without that devotion, well, the marriage really isn't a marriage. Alicia and I have been married now for over 11 years. Can you imagine what would happen if I said, "Uh, Honey, you know, I'm still totally devoted to you. And, you know, I promise that I'm going to be with you completely like six days of the week. But from now on, on Thursdays, um, I'm going to go spend time with another woman. Don't worry, though. It's only one day per week, hon, and, and I'm all yours for the other six days. Can you imagine what this would do to our relationship? It would totally destroy everything. Because unless my devotion to her is a seven out of seven, it might as well be a zero out of seven. It's all or nothing. And in the same way, you know, we can't try to pursue the things of the world on one hand and then expect Jesus to think that we are devoted to Him. They're totally opposite to each other. This level of devotion, it is a tall order. And it might seem like you know, a negative thing even at first. But it's, again, it's very similar to a marriage. You know, every day, I love this picture of this, this old married couple. Every day, many people happily Uh, forsake pursuing all other people just so they can remain devoted and committed to that one special person, you know, their spouse. So we're used to this concept of, of continually being devoted to something and the benefits that come from it. We remain devoted to our spouse for life because we know that we're going to be blessed by that relationship. And in a similar way, Jesus wants every one of us to come to an understanding that there is no better thing that we can do with our life then give it fully to Him in full devotion. Jesus wants to take complete control of your life. I mean everything. He doesn't want to file a few rough edges or slap on a new coat of paint so you can look a bit better. He doesn't uh, want to fight and fight for a bit of time in your schedule or He doesn't want to improve your moral standards a few percent points. He is here to completely change your life from the inside out. He wants us to say, you know what, I can see that living for myself is totally not what I was made for. And so I'm done with that. From now on, it's all about you. I am turning my life over over to you. I'm turning control of everything over to you. You lead me in whatever direction you want me to go. No matter what, how scary it is, no matter how much it costs, no matter what I have to give up or what it's going to cost me, I don't care because I know that pursuing a relationship with you is worth so much more than anything else that this world could ever offer me. And so whatever you want to do, wherever you want to lead, that's where I'm going to follow. Do you see the difference? Jesus isn't talking about modifying a few routines or inserting a few new rules into your life. He wants to fulfill the scripture from 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. The old has passed away and behold the new has come. Sadly, the rich young ruler didn't see the value in pursuing Jesus with all his heart. He didn't see it because he was blinded by the thing that really mattered most to him, which was his wealth. His priority was maintaining his physical comfort and his physical security that came from money 
instead of the spiritual comfort and security that came from following Jesus. It reminds me of what the scriptures say in Romans 8, 5 to 8, and I think this is just so fitting for our lesson this morning. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The reason that Jesus said the rich young ruler was still lacking something, you know, it wasn't because he just needed a few more rules to add to his life uh, in order to be good enough. The man realized that Uh, Sorry, the man needed to realize that the things of the flesh that had captured his heart, the things that he thought were giving him life, uh, like, like his wealth, were the very things that were actually leading him to spiritual death. And they were holding him back from pursuing the true source of life, like this verse says here. Verse 7 is important for us as well. And it helps us to understand why the man walked away when Jesus told him to give up on his wealth. It says pretty clearly here that if our hearts are set on the things of the flesh, you know, it's not that it's going to be, it's not that it's going to be difficult for us to pursue the things of God. It says here that it's literally simply impossible. That's worth repeating. The scripture tells us that as long as our minds are set on the things of this world, that it's just simply not possible to devote ourselves to God. And that's a pretty important thing for us to understand. You know, we, may, we might look devoted on the outside. We might say the right things. We might do the right things. But yet on the inside, our heart might be totally pursuing the things of this world. We might totally respect Jesus. We maybe even follow some of his commands. But yet when it comes down to our devotion, the thing that our heart is pursuing, our lives are not really much different than our friends and neighbors around us who don't know God because we're just pursuing all the same things that they are. I know this is a challenging message. And, you know, please don't think for a second that I'm up here saying all this stuff because... You know, my devotion to God is all sorted out, because it's certainly not. This is a daily battle for me. And I know it is for many of us. And I know that whenever we talk about difficult concepts like total devotion, it might come across as, you know, it's sounding like I'm saying, you know, you need to be perfect, and and you need to figure this out all on your own. And so it's easy to get overwhelmed. But one of the things I really appreciate about this story are these seven little words here in verse 21. It's, it's easy to miss them, but we really gotta, we really gotta catch them because they are so important, I think. It might seem at first glance like Jesus' response to the rich young ruler was harsh. You know, he's coming down on him hard for missing the point and not figuring it out. But I don't think that's what's happening here. These words, Uh, that Jesus says to the rich young rulers, 
the rich young ruler was actually a display of love because he was trying to free him from the spiritual prison that he was locked in. You know, the man, the rich young ruler, he'd been tying up unnecessary weight on his shoulders. He was thinking that he needed to be good enough. You know, he had to be He had to know enough. He had to follow the right rules. And he had to be perfect enough to earn his own salvation. And on top of that, another burden is that he hadn't yet discovered the fulfillment that comes from having a relationship with God. And he was off in the world with his wealth searching for fulfillment where he was never going to find it. Jesus was trying to help the young man realize that if he followed him, He would free him from the anxiety and vain pursuits that he was chasing after in the world that he was never going to find there. So maybe it seems like Jesus was asking him for more than he could handle. And I guess, you know, in a worldly way of looking at it, maybe he was. But in all the ways that truly matter, Jesus was offering the rich young ruler far more than he was asking him to give up. He was offering him a chance Uh, to give up on anxiety about his salvation. He was offering him a chance to give up on this never-ending pursuit of just trying to be good enough. And he was offering him an end to this impossible pursuit of self-righteousness and self-satisfaction that he was never going to find. Instead, Jesus wanted him to just trust in the righteousness and 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 the satisfaction and the true blessings that would come from pursuing Jesus with all his heart. Maybe God can help us all this morning to see the true value in the offer that this rich young man missed. Jesus didn't need the man to be perfect, but he did need full devotion. And Jesus still needs the same thing from all of us today. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't need perfection from this young man, but he did need devotion. And he still needs the same thing from us today. The offer of love that Jesus gave to this man should be very encouraging to us because he's he's still offering us the same offer today as well. We need to know that Jesus' offer is a promise that we are not going to be alone. When we devote ourselves to him, we can be sure that He will be there for us because He knows that we cannot change the desires of our heart on our own. One of the most amazing reminders about the work He promises to do in our hearts comes from the prophet Ezekiel from the Old Testament. Uh, It's coming from a time when God was speaking of a future time to come that we are now living in when He would dwell in the hearts of His people through His Holy Spirit. We read about this in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will uh, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. Being devoted to Jesus means that we surrender every aspect of our lives to Jesus' control. 
You know, we turn our lives over to Him. And when we do that, we come into contact with the blood of Christ. And the most amazing chain reaction begins. Because our sin is removed by the blood of Jesus, God is able, as it says here, to come and dwell in our hearts through His Spirit. And when His Spirit gets a hold of your life, real change begins. Change to your heart. This is different than the change that we, we can make for ourselves when maybe we struggle and we try really hard and then we can modify our behavior somewhat. This is not the same thing. The Spirit will literally change who we are. And the Bible describes it kind of like a heart transplant. When we commit ourselves to following Jesus, the Spirit starts our open heart surgery and everything will begin to change. You know, it still takes time. But as He continues to work in us, we will be more and more devoted to Him. Not because we have to be, but because like it says here, He's going to change us and move us and make us want to be devoted to Him. He will give us new desires. If you're not seeing this type of change in your life, please consider honestly what your heart is devoted to. Maybe you're respecting Jesus or maybe you even obey Him on a surface level, but deep down, your heart is not really pursuing Him. This is a normal thing to struggle with. But it's important that we don't settle for a half-committed state like the rich young ruler did. Thankfully, Jesus tells us exactly what to do if we're in this situation. In Revelation 3, 14 to 16, and then I'll skip down to 19 to 20. This is what he says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the true and faithful witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know, there are some important things to catch here. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus is addressing people in the church. So these words here are for believers in Him. Also, we see in verses 15 and 16 that these believers had lost their devotion uh, to Christ because they were lukewarm towards Him. They had their devotion split up. And as we saw with the rich young ruler, Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them in love by telling them earnestly to repent. They need to repent earnestly. They need to repent of the sin of not being fully devoted to Him. If anyone is in this half-committed state today, you need to know that Jesus says that He is standing at the door and knocking, waiting for your full devotion. He is committed to coming into your life through His Spirit. But just like in a marriage relationship, this relationship also requires full devotion. He doesn't require perfection, but He does require devotion. And He's waiting for you to open the door. 
If you want to talk more about pursuing this life of total devotion uh, to Jesus and and enjoying the incredible blessings that come along with that, please don't hesitate to talk to me about it. Anybody, anybody can accept this gift by repenting of their old life and committing themselves to Jesus in baptism. When we do this, God promises that our sins will be washed away. And because they are washed away, we will receive the gift of His Holy Spirit and He will live in us so that our open heart surgery can begin. We're going to end off with a fitting song, I think. It's called, I Surrender All. And the title really says it all. And this is a song, you know, that's going to make us say some pretty challenging pledges of devotion towards God. I encourage us all to think about the words we're singing and how they apply specifically to our life. I hope and pray that we'll all put these words into practice as we devote ourselves to pursuing Jesus with all our heart. Thank you very much.